Blog Talk Radio. Aloha, welcome to Talking Pictures. I'm your host, Paul Booth. Today I will be joined by the director of Abducted in Plain Sight. Before I introduced her, I wanted to just say thank you for her time in this film that we're going to discuss is a heavy-duty subject matter. You can catch it on Netflix. Uh, welcome to the show, Sky. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to, to chat with you. Oh, I appreciate it. We, we, we love talking with guests and hearing all about their process and what, they've, what they do. Uh, this film, like we discussed on the phone the other day, uh, I don't even know if a heavy, if the word heavy explains uh, the Smith Fallon and Jimmy Fallon goes through this whole synopsis of what the film's about and like mm-hmm. the director's sitting right there. So we like to have the filmmaker tell us what the film's about. No <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, the film is, is, is basically a story about a family who befriends a, a new person in town, and, and that man is able to infiltrate the family and eventually kidnap their eldest daughter, Jan, not once but twice, um, and, then, and then really about how this guy manipulates an entire family and multiply, multiple times sexually abuses the eldest daughter, Jan. Well, so we're dealing with multiple federal, moral, ethical, political crimes. I'm sure there's mm-hmm. different things we and could psychological pick. Psychological. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Anything that ends in the word AL, I guess, and I'm not making right, a joke. Right, right, yes. Um, it's like a... Oh, wow. Anyways, um, so this, what got you into this story what was actually not that, because that's such a cliche question. What was the thing that said that made you say, okay, I'm prepared emotionally to do this story? Yeah, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that I was really prepared emotionally to do this story. I mean, I think I think it's a combination of a few things. Um, I I was really intrigued with, I guess, finding out how something like this could happen. And I, I read the book and I think really, I don't know, there, I went through so many different sort of emotional, I don't know if I was ever on any highs, a few different emotional lows, you know, where, where I felt so many different things during the, it's really during the editing of the project more so than the filming of the project. I think during the filming, there was just a lot of compassion and, um, curiosity, I guess. I mean, listening to the stories and, and, and being with the family was a very emotional thing, but I was really grappling with the different emotions in the post-process and putting this story together. And and that was was great for me in a way because I think I, I had more of an understanding about what the parents were going through and and, and I felt frustrated at the parents, but I also felt a lot of empathy for the parents and uh, a lot of anger at the parents at times and, and for Birch told. Uh, and so it was a really interesting thing to kind of go through all of the different elements of, of making this film. But I don't think, I don't know. I, I don't know that I was necessarily uh, prepared when I went into it. 
I like that because um, I guess now that I think about it, after I asked, I thought, how could anybody really be emotionally prepared for that? Uh, it. I'm sorry, my my dog likes to wander in the <laughs> studio once in a while, and I'm, I really apologize if her chain picks up on the background. It's. I don't hear it. So, um, My dog might wander into here as well. So. Okay. Yeah, I'm just, and she knows. She, I have trained her that when she sees the mic or the computers. But anyways, um, so I, I like that you touched on the parent thing because what made this story so intriguing, um, and I, I don't really know if this is a film where there is spoilers because it's so, yeah. Um, I mean, it's like, like in some of the interviews I've seen uh, that it's about healing and it's about opening the conversation. So it's almost like right now we're also reviewing this uh, new documentary coming up uh, called we are Columbine and one of the survivors uh-huh. uh, directed it. So it's kind of like, you don't want to say what happened in the documentary, but it's like, well, everyone knows what happened in the documentary. So (laughs) with this, you know, you want people, right, to be able to – so because there's so many uh, messages and platforms in this, uh, what is something that you would – that, you know, sits on the top of your list, uh, you get asked that one message that you want people to walk away from, what's your choice? I think – I think if there's only one thing that people would walk away from this film with, and I hope there's more, but but that child abuse is happening with someone that you know, love, and trust. It's not it's not the scary the scary person in the trench coat that sneaks up to you. It's it's someone that you would never expect it happening with, and that's why that's why the numbers are so high. That's why there's kids who are still getting abused today. That's why it's still happening because we just, we don't see it happening in plain sight, you know, right in front of us because it's our boyfriend or our girlfriend or our, our stepfather or our priest or our nanny or whoever it is that we trust. That's who's abusing our kids. And yeah, it does happen. Look, stranger stuff does happen, but the numbers are so small. It's like 5% of the abuse that happened was happening with a stranger. So that's what I would want people to walk away with. And that it's, and that if we can open our eyes a little bit and just kind of really start paying attention to who our kids are with and start paying attention to the, the little tiny signs that are there with our kids and with people who are around our kids, then then that's what I hope this film gives is people just a, a, a bigger awareness of who it is that's abusing the kids. I, I I like that you say that because I, as I was thinking about this film and uh, letting audience know you might have to watch it in segments because it is yeah. emotionally tough. Um, yeah. The fantastic documentary. It's probably the only thing I would, say is fantastic that I stopped watching. Um, right. Maybe that should be a pull quote on your DVD. So good you stopped watching. Um, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, was what you just said was something really uh, triggered something to me about the child abuse and about, I think one of the, obviously to me, one of the biggest issues is that people don't talk about it 
till so mm-hmm. lo- late or they don't know they're supposed to talk about it. Or we can dip a little bit into, uh, in my opinion, and again, anything said today, Sky's opinion is her opinion. My opinion is the opinion of the show. Uh, sometimes it feels like there's a little bit of a difference with males and and females. Uh, like two days ago, one of the, and I'm not knocking religion, uh, one of the popes in Australia got busted for raping young boys and you know in and out of the news I haven't heard people bickering about it and but when I hear a story about someone touching a girl it's on the news five nights a week the trial Mm -hmm. is tracked so I've always kind of wondered like like what what do you feel when I say that has a has a human, but also has a woman. Like, what, what, what does that stir, and 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 how that applies to your film, the child abuse aspect? Well, it's definitely. I mean, when you look at the statistics of child sexual abuse, I think uh, I might get this wrong, but it's something around one in ten boys is abused, and one in four girls is abused. So, so the numbers are greater that, that young girls are abused. The numbers are greater that women are raped. Um, the numbers are greater that women are sexually harassed. Um, across the board, the numbers are greater that if you are female, you are abused more. Uh, so what that tells me, and I've been trying to kind of figure this out for a while to really wrap my brain around it, like how can you really... I mean, I think as a filmmaker, you know, how can I institute change? And I, so I make a, a movie and we talk about child sexual abuse in the movie and a lot of people watch it. And hopefully, hopefully parents who watch it can take something away from it and protect their child. But is that stopping abuse from happening? I don't really know. And so to go even further than that, what can you actually do to make it stop happening? And in order to do that, you've got to pinpoint the problem. And to me, I think the problem is much greater than stopping child abuse from happening, but why is it happening in the first place? And I think what it is, is on a global scale, we are a patriarchal institution on a global scale. So it's, and we are socialized as we're raised as men and as women. And part of that socialization is that men are powerful and women don't carry as much power. Women are socialized, I think, to be, to be women and men are socialized to be men. And along with that comes this idea of power. And pretty well documented that abuse is not so much about sex, but it is about power. And I think that across the board is, is for the most part true. So, so how do you change the world? I mean, how do you change these patriarchal institutions? And I think it really comes down to if we can get into the Catholic church and really stop the cover-ups from happening because the cover-ups with the Catholic church, with the, with the universities, I mean, we've got so many universities in, in oh, the public State, yeah. spotlight, <laughs> you know, um, with, I mean, you name it, with the NFL. I mean, you name any sort of patriarchal institution and there are cover-ups happening. And so I think if the cover-ups could stop, 
we stop protecting those that are abusing because we're ashamed of what it's going to do to our institution or to our community or to our whatever, and we can really take the shame away but really be a little bit more forthright and honest and honorable and start stripping away that, then I think potentially we could, we could start bringing the, the child abuse numbers down. But that's huge. I mean, that's a, a giant, giant, giant thing. Yes. Well, I, I like <laughs> I, what I think you were alluding to about the why the abuse goes on and the people who do, and I think it takes a lot of compassion to understand that it's a disease. I think it's kind of like drug addiction. There's just people that will not see it as a disease and will just see it as people are junkies and, you know, mm-hmm. it's factual that it is a disease and doctors do need to take care of it and are and and there is people who are like in abuse treatment and yes you know the worst one it's like you can't even say the word kevin spacey without feeling bad right um right but the uh my mother who worked with children for so many years at a preschool she was just like uh he has a disease and he needs to be put in treatment. Now that didn't mean she was like, yeah, that's cool what he did. And he shouldn't have been thrown off Netflix or house of cards. But at the end of the day, he's not Lester Burnham. He's not the guy in seven. And Mm -hmm. like you're saying, what do you do to look at the bigger picture? And of course that's a bad example because that was media and the media always has to have something to, you know, catapult its agenda. Um, and I'm sometimes someone, someone said to me once, well, you're media. I said, yeah, but I'm, I'm not trying to push an agenda on you. Like, like <laughs> there's no one in an office for 10 floors up that tells me what to say. So I'm not actual media. Um, mm-hmm. So with, with digging to the bottom of this, the, uh, what uh, what kind of story would you mind talking about that goes on in the film? So then I can kind of shape some of the questions because there's the the marriage thing, there's the actual girl. Like, what what would you like to talk about? And then I can dive in from there. Oh, geez, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't. I, I, I don't have one in particular that's that's more interesting than the other. Um, so it's whatever whatever you think. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, I just wanted to be sure because there's so many different stories. Yeah. I didn't know if there was. I know. Um, I know. I, I was as I was watching this. I it kept, you know, uh, to, to everyone out there. You, it's. Uh, I always say Netflix is awesome because you can check it out. But I always say don't turn off till you're done listening. Then watch it. Um, mm-hmm. If you do turn off right now to watch it, then come back and hear a, a director's commentary. Uh, the the story of the the woman uh oh god i i want to i believe jan um yeah uh uh actually like wanting to marry an older man now mm-hmm. yeah we go back jerry lee lewis married his 13 year old cousin and we have these things in the world where teenagers fell in love with older men was there ever how did you uh 
in interviews prepare for as much as we can look back and say brainwashing that there mm-hmm. was possibly just that human emotion going on. I mean, was that ever like discussed and not shown like in the film? What? Sorry. Can you say that again? Was the brainwashing well, the, ever discussed? The, the, well, it was the, the, the guy was brainwashing and manipulative, uh-huh. but but that the actual human emotion that a younger girl can just fall in love with an older man. Like it's yeah, not right. I mean, I think, it's immoral. Society gets down on it, but sorry, go ahead. Well, I think that there were a lot of things, you know, uh, going on with that. I think that uh, she, I, I believe Jan did fall in love with Birch told and then, and that at this formative age, you know, when we think about a 12 year old, girl or boy it's such an impressionable age and there's so much that sticks with you from you know 11 12 13 those those years and and i really think that this this person came into her life that just showered her with attention and with gifts and with money and he was part of the family and you know she thought about him as as kind of a second father and then and then gradually as as flirtation and and sex started to enter the picture, those feelings of fatherly kind of love transitioned into a romantic kind of love, a boyfriend-girlfriend kind of love, a husband and wife kind of love, or what she thought that those feelings were or that kind of love was. And I think that was that was part of any 12 year old who wants to wants to kind of grow up quickly, who wants to be an adult, who's craving being an adult. And I think it also speaks a little bit to, to living in a small town and, and, and a small LDS town where I think that, that, I mean, they weren't fundamentalist Mormons by any sense of the imagination, but there were around people who got married at a rather young age, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-old girls getting married to slightly older men was not that uncommon. And Jan's desire to want to grow up faster and and this idea that people, that young girls married quite young, it wasn't that foreign. And I think also these ideas of, you know, Mary and Joseph and, and, the, and, and Jesus and these biblical stories came into play and so she didn't think of herself as being that young. Right. Oh, right, right. Well, I, I think that I, it's interesting that you say that because I think that for me reverses in I don't think I'm as old as I am. Right now, right? I sometimes forget. I'm like, I'm not 40. I, yeah. but I still want to go hang out with my buddies and be stupid till midnight. Oh wait, they can't because right. they're married yeah. and have kids and mortgages. Um, yeah, I and I remember you know, growing up just oh, sorry, wanting to be older. I wanted to I wanted to put on makeup. I wanted to have the high heels. I wanted to get a bra, you know, before before I needed one. And I wanted to be older. And so I thought of myself as I think it's the same thing, just in reverse. You, you want to be older than you actually are, and and that idea of getting married is something. You know, as a little girl, I think you start thinking about it, depending on who you are, at various stages around that time. And so, so just sort of, and she was the oldest of three girls, and so had probably a few more responsibilities to to undertake. Now, this, I don't think this this speaks to how her parents responded to it, but I can understand how Jan 
would want to be married at that young age. I mean, because I, I have a male brain, and I mean, I'm 40 and still don't want to be married, so I'm, that's why I'm saying interesting. Right, um, right. Uh, and I'm I'm hardly like, you know, the that guy who has no respect for women, so that's why he's not married. Uh, do you think, uh, and this is just quick, do, do you think that there would be a big difference for you had this been a boy or a man? Um, the only, I don't think the story would have been any different to me. Um, I think possibly the, um, the experience of sort of the interviews may have been a little bit different. Um, I don't think that, I don't think the story would have been different though. I know that when we, when we arrived at the Broberg home to do the interviews, it was really the day before we were going to do the interview. So we came and we, we met them and we spent time with them, but it was, it was three women who arrived at the house and that the Broberg house has a very female energy to it. And so, so three women coming into a female energy kind of house was a very interesting and, and helpful sort of place to be. I think it, I think that it really worked to kind of help, help them trust us in telling their story. I think it would have been phenomenally different if it had been three men showing up to that house. Uh, that said, I don't think if it had been uh, a boy being abused, I don't think it's only a man that can tell that story. I think women can tell that story. I think men can tell that story. But I do think our energies that we bring into any kind of situation um, either either helps that trust process happen a little bit quicker or can inhibit it a little bit. You need a bit, a bit more time. But but I definitely feel like our energy matched the energy of, of the circumstances. I, I love that because I think it's all energy and I'm, I'm, that's why I say I'm spiritual, not religious, because I think everything mm-hmm. is just energy and we're, we're all molecules and atoms and, Etc. Um, I can definitely see where it would talking to three men about that would be different. And uh, something that I kind of saw in this film too, that was very interesting for me was I was that guy in as a freshman in high school that girls would let hang out with them and other guys couldn't. I, you know, I have nothing against it, but like, I used to get asked if I was gay um, mm-hmm. and it was just, I was watching and I was thinking like, it's why I was just thinking about what you just said. Cause I was like, there's so many conversations I've had with women. I have my best female friend of almost half my life to where she'll just talk to me like I'm a woman and some stuff will come out her mouth and I'll be like, you know, did you mean to say that? So when you were just talking about energies, um, I was able to kind of watch the film and be like, oh, you know, that's something that I don't hear men say when I heard Jan say it. Um, That's something that I don't hear men feel or say that they feel. I'm kind of mixed. I, Like you're saying, like you had kind of mentioned in society, I always, I don't like how we have to say man, woman, because we're all human and we're all half man, half woman. 
So right. I always think it's kind of funny when I hear women who get really down on men, and I'm like, well, you're half of a man. Right. So um, we are idiots. We are dumb. We <laughs> do deserve 98.6% of the guff we get. Um, so does that mean when you burp, it's just because you're a man? So that's what I liked about this film was that it, I love that now I see exactly what you were doing and it, and I want to let you know that it really came across um, the energies. And then also, I think I want to jump into the mother and father for a moment, if you don't mind. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Then the mother and father, you have them, of course, trying to get their child back, but then, there turns into this little crazy manipulated love affair with the same guy. And and I was, I don't like to call people crazy because at the end of the day, I think we all have something that probably makes us crazy. We're all bozos Mm -hmm. on the bus. Uh, But this guy was like the first time ever where I was like, like, wow, like doctors and psychiatrists wouldn't even be able to, solve this like so was there a moment for you like do you did you have kind of like what I was saying like where you're you try to be compassionate you try to find some not sympathy because he's a criminal but but then you're just like wow I I guess I just have to deal with how cuckoo this guy is yeah with Birchfield you're talking about yes yeah I mean it was it was always interesting with Birchfield because we were it was it was more challenging to try to find or or really seek out, I guess, his character uh, because we didn't have access to him. He, he, he's, he's gone. And so finding his character was different for him than it was for anybody else in our film because we were able to do interviews with them. We were able to spend time with them. So our sort of, I guess research or um, unearthing of his character really came through uh, secondhand descriptions of him from his brother and from uh, the Broberg family, uh, as well as court transcripts and then the audio recordings that we were able to find and pictures. But it was this very sort of, it was very much unearthing who is this man and what is it that, that sort of makes him, him tick and and it's always it's always interesting to try to excavate that given a limited number of resources and given what we're most accustomed to using to gauge someone which is our eyes and our ears and our 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 conversations that we have with them and you know you are so much more able to sort of suss somebody out when you can spend time with them you look at their body language you listen to how they talk you 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 ask them questions you see how forthcoming they are you know all of those I guess tools that we have in in knowing someone or they're not there if somebody's dead and so to find that and to excavate that through words on a piece of paper or the audio recordings which to me were were part of what really brought him to life for me um, is a very, is a very challenging task. And, uh, and you also have to be, you know, you don't have the indicators to know if someone's being completely truthful or, truthful or not. So that becomes very interesting too, where you have to try to find 
corroborating evidence on is this part of the story true or is this part of the story not true so that the FBI documents and transcripts became became pretty useful in that regard. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, well, we won't get into the FBI and documents in these days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> could not take a jab at that one. Um, right. I'm against Cheeto Head, so anytime I can make remarks, I do. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, that was something that I, that really, uh, I, that's what I love so much about, about any film and uh, is how things just reverberate. I think of it as like a good concert that just keeps, you can think of 10 years later and um, was the, the, the challenging task of creating a character that obviously well, probably wouldn't have done interviews anyways, if he was alive. Um, right. Right. And, and so you have that. And then also like is one of the tools you go to, like, I, I don't know if everyone thinks this, but sometimes I think of like, I know it wouldn't be as audacious as this. And I know it would be, pretty good but I sometimes think like if someone made a documentary about me and I wasn't interviewed what would come across as the perception so that's what I was kind of thinking was like wow how was this created with nothing but audio recordings pictures others opinions which let's face it others opinions are always they are skewed to their opinion uh, mm-hmm. even when they're totally right. Um, and that's just what I thought was one of the coolest things that I'm so glad you were willing to talk about because I was just like, how how was this created? Because I, I felt like he was alive. I felt like he did interviews. Uh, I felt like he was just a part of everything. Yeah. yeah well, the recreations really... too. I think the recreations help because I often wonder about that. Like, I've wondered if, because I do feel like people um, throughout social media, they, they've they really villainized the parents and they've really sort of had very negative feelings towards the parents and not to the pedophile. And, and, and it's very interesting to me. And I've wondered often, is it because you never see him or, and you do see the parents or because I think parents are just held to a much higher, like they're, their job in this world is to protect their kids. And so if they fail at that, they're just targets and fail multiple times at that. Maybe they're just opening themselves up to be targets. But I, but I, I also wonder about where the, you know, where our expectations kind of clash with the craft and and art of filmmaking. And, and is it that we couldn't actually see this man really? I mean, there was one, you know, one clip where he's in court with Jan, but, but that, that, help sort of distances from him or not not villainize him quite so much. And that's, look, it's a huge, big conversation. I don't know the answer to this, um, but it is, it is something, you know, really contemplating uh, since, since there's been so much, since so many people are, are willing and, and completely unabashedly giving their opinions about the film. Um, and it's something I've been really, really thinking about lately. Well, yeah, that must be, I mean, that must be really, I mean, even though the subject is so um, what it is, that must be really interesting to hear. I mean, I was, I, I think I had told you in an email and vulnerable, I have to be vulnerable. And and it, it did get me thinking about a lot of times that, that I had had 
abuse myself, uh, but I was a little bit older. And, you know, when you're a 16-year-old boy and like a 25-year-old woman is sexually assaulting mm-hmm. you, at the time it's kind of like, you know, heroes welcome coming home from World War Two. But then it's kind of like when you play back the reel, you're kind of like, well, that wasn't really appropriate and it is a crime. Right. And it is right. abuse. Um, right. And the 16-year-old you, sure, you thought it was cool because you're 16 and you're dumb and you're an idiot. Um, mm-hmm. And it's and you are, you're also figuring okay. out sex for the, you know, you're figuring it out and you're kind of getting some education there too. I mean, it's a really complicated right. thing. Right. Oh, yeah. And it's your, and, and, and I can say, I'm not being grosser, but I can say I remember just being grabbed and mm-hmm. kissed. And I, mm-hmm. I'm not saying, oh, poor me, a gun was held to, my, held to my head. But when I think back, it was like, it wasn't really, uh, it wasn't like, oh, we liked each other and hung out and talked. And then it was just like she started abusing me. And like you're saying, I mean, we're human beings. And uh, so so that's what was getting me thinking. And gosh, if, if my abusive situations uh were something that at least seemed cool for years. Like right. I can't even fathom if they were horrible situations. Like that's mm-hmm. what just kept playing over and over in my head. And when you had mentioned uh, being younger, I won't lie. I When I was like 16 or 17, I wanted to marry my 25-year-old hairstylist. Because my right. hairstylist for like six years. Like, And right. uh, so right. I... Could also so can I ask you, be, when did you, oh, yeah. like, when did you realize it was abuse? Like, how old were you, you, know, when, you when you kind of made that realization? You know, like, when honestly, did it move from being, like, kind of cool, the cool stud to, wait a minute, I was abused? Uh, you know, actually, probably, maybe, maybe about a year ago. It, it definitely. Right. I don't know. I don't think it would have happened if if the Me Too thing hap- didn't come up, because the uh-huh. Me Too triggered my brain into, well, I've had power used against me. I didn't have to uh-huh. do it to get a job. Um, right. So because there wasn't a job, does that mean it was okay? Then it kind of transformed right. into, well, of course it's cool, but maybe it's not cool. I mean, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. I didn't have to go to therapy for it. Um, right. But yeah, but, and so the, but the main realization in all honesty really started to come across uh, when I was watching your film, because that's what was making me be like, that's why I have these questions. And I'm, I even had, I was having a conversation with my three of my friends that I've, I've known them all 20 years and we're at my 40th birthday party. And they were literally saying to me, like, what happened to you doesn't count. They were like, and I was like, and I was, and they weren't meaning it like literally because said yet they just said, there's just too many women and too many other issues. They're like, we all care and we're, we're here for you. We'd rather not talk about it at your 40th birthday, but if you're upset tomorrow, let's, get up and talk, but it was kind of like, and it, and it was so weird to think if people you've known that would do anything for you are putting so much into it's all just women, mm-hmm. it really was making me think like, wow, well, it should be statistically, but, 
when when would it matter that if if it was men like if your film was the same mm-hmm. it interests me i mean if your your film was of equal quality but was about a boy would, would i mean would people be as outraged would it be i mean it deserves all the media it's getting it's completely worth it but right. it's, it's well, an interesting thought well and then it's also very interesting because if you juxtapose you know uh, abducted in plain sight next to leaving neverland which were two men, two yeah. boys at the time, and more than that. And, and it's very interesting because I think a lot, of the, a lot of people have been coming out saying they're liars. And, right. and that's also very interesting. And, and nobody, I, I don't think, I mean, look, I mean, there's probably somebody out there that might feel like Jan is lying, but that hasn't been the predominant yeah, no. <laughs> idea that's out there. But but with with um, with leaving Neverland, a lot of people are saying that now. There's much larger thing. I mean, like Michael Jackson was larger than life. He's a super super mega famous guy. Um, there were periods of you know where the two guys weren't talking about their stories publicly, and then they they came out and they wanted to talk about it. But it, it's the same thing I think as with you that they realized that what they had been through when they were seven years old, 10 years old, 14 years old, was abuse. I don't think they had realized that until just recently. And that's where it gets hard, I think, for people to, to understand that. I mean, I think people, I think we honestly believe that we are more righteous and more smart and more everything, better people than we actually are, and that this would never, ever, ever happen to us. And I think that if we can just kind of knock ourselves back a little bit and kind of go, you know, it does happen to us. Let's just try to stop it when it does. Like it, and that's what I hope people can just kind of step back and, and, and have a little bit more, I think, empathy and compassion, really. Yeah, well, and also what you're saying, I also think, too, is letting certain things go at a certain age. I mean, uh, I feel like I, I've always, I think it's funny with everything. I think it's funny that on your 17th birthday, you know, it's abuse and tomorrow or uh, the day before my 18th birthday, it's abuse, but the next day it's fine. Uh, I can't have a beer <laughs> Tuesday, but then Wednesday I can. I you mean, can't, right, right. You know, you can, yeah. you can buy a home and go get killed in Iraq, but you can't drink a beer. And and so I, I right. always find that funny. And I, and I especially was, I had turned 42 months ago and I thought I was just thinking this great big, and I was like, okay, same friends. Uh, I'm the same right. idiot. I listen to the same music, <laughs> the same films. And I was just like, right. there wasn't this big, like, holy moly. And so I think with the age thing for me, why it probably took longer to process was because I was a lot closer to 18. And mm-hmm. it, I always think of the movie, the graduate and I always, and it just hit me now. I'm like, well, he was over 18, so that's why it wasn't crude or wrong, and it was just a consenting adult. But I think it's also because films like that, you know, they do put uh, that stigma. I think it's part of the stigma. I'm actually learning this right now as we're talking. Nobody's really going to believe that it's a stigma, but that mm-hmm. we can't possibly think it's uncool that there's no possible way 
we don't want our mother's friend grabbing us under a table at breakfast. Right. We automatically have to brag about it at school. You know, and that's what's kind of like I told my mom, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to tell you who. I'm like, but you have a number of friends that used to like grab me under the table. Like, Mm -hmm. and I was just thinking, okay. And so, yeah, so sorry that we kind of went off, but I think that what your film has is definitely doing. Um, The next thing I'm interested in is the conversations that you, that, that you've, uh, that you're opening is there one has you've done these media outlets where maybe a conversation came up that you weren't specifically thinking someone would get that and you were like, Oh, hmm. you, you're bringing that up. Um, that's a good question. I don't, I can't think of anything. Now. I mean, what a, I think it makes me pretty happy actually that, that all of these issues that we talk about, which is, you know, faith and, I mean, maybe it is like, actually what you brought up today, you know, would it have been different if a male victim, I mean, that's an interesting question. And, and I don't think anybody else has asked me that question. It is something interesting to talk about. And I also, you know, immediately started thinking about, uh, about leaving Neverland and, and how I don't think it would have been different, but, but, but it may have been. I think I'm happy that it's, conversations have have really sort of circled around responsibility grooming faith uh forgiveness uh you know a parent's role um i do think it's interesting and not many people have talked about the ripples in the family the sisters and how how they've been affected because the abuse really didn't happen just to jan uh, it happened to her parents. It happened to her sisters, and not physical abuse, but the 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 ripples of that abuse that kind of affect the entire family and 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 their families today. The kids that they have, the partners that they've decided to spend their lives with, and that's something I think that is 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 not really in the film, but it's hinted at a little bit in the film, and and also a fascinating, I think, a really fascinating topic. Yeah, no, yeah, the multiple levels of abuse was just, I mean, I was, I, I just have one sibling, one brother, and we don't talk until like five years ago, but uh, thinking has kids, like I, it was just so amazing to think, not amazing, it was so, there just wasn't even a way to hear those audios and to uh, go through that. And to think mm-hmm. that um, when you would just be bummed your bro- when your brother spent the night at his friend's house and mm-hmm. you know was probably gone twenty hours or something, um, right? The you know what what you've been getting in, on the different conversations from the I I had asked that because I'm you know and congratulations on the. Uh, the media attention that you've been receiving uh, and from the the size of the outlets, because that's, that's so important. Mm. Uh, I thought that was so great when I saw it across Facebook would click on it and to just see Yahoo news and see this and Vanity Fair and Rolling Stone. It's like, wow. Oh, you were, whoa, you're in Rolling Stone. Oh, I didn't know that. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a great it's a great write up in Rolling Stone and Vice. I mean, those oh. were some of the first ones to come out with articles. It was it was amazing. Were were you on the cover? No, I wish. No. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say I want a signed copy, whether it's a depressing movie or not. Uh, well, I'm actually just also alluding to it. I don't know if you ever heard. There's this great classic rock song called "The Cover of Rolling Stone," and it's the band yes, singing about. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Hook. You know how, how many copies? It's like I always ask people, how many copies would you buy for your mother if you were on the cover of Rolling right. Stone? Right. And um. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, that's so awesome you know that song. I mean, I, I tell people that I'm not oh, yeah. sounding snobbish, yeah. but people just go, huh, what's that? Anyways, um, yeah. that is, that, the, like, how many, okay, so then the the question can apply to the articles. How many copies do you have of that Rolling Stone? Well, it was a digital version, so I don't, oh, boy, this is going to sound bad. I don't even know if it went to print. So it oh. may be in a printed oh. article, but I don't actually know. Oh, I think wow. it was just a digital article. Ah, uh, I see. I, you know, I, yeah. I, I'm not one of those, like, I'm the least, uh, pardon my language, star fucker person in the planet. But I just, because I love that song is why I'm always, right. I think it's so cool when somebody would be in Rolling Stone and the idea of what they would do with it. Um, well, well, and congratulations on that. I mean, even, even digital, that's, that's just superb. Yeah. Uh, do you have, have you had any uh, conversations that came up uh, and you don't have to name the outlet or the person obviously, but have you had something come up where it was just like, okay, you know what? I just, it's cool that that brought that up, but I'm just not going to go there as a director. Like, um, well, the only thing that I think it's not really been in conversations where it's come up because I feel like all the conversations that we've had have been really thoughtful and interesting and introspective and, and looking at the world and issues at large. Um, I think one of the things that has come up uh, on social media is that the, some people feel like Jan's parents were trafficking her in a way, trading favors um, sexual favors with Birch told in order to give access to Jan. And that's just not, not something that I ever believed or that I would ever entertain. Really? I don't believe for a second that that's something that happened. Yeah. That's pretty out there. Mm. Yeah. That's pretty. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, while we're on the topic of things that are out there. Um, wow. That's pretty. Yikes. So you you get do you have forums set up for this with social media? Is there something you'd like to plug? I mean, like Facebook or website or something where people can. I, I mean, know, we've got see. a we've got yeah. Our Facebook is abducted. Everything, all of our socials are uh, abducted doc, um, and so we've got Facebook up there. There is a you know there is a Facebook group that was started. It's called um, I think Abducted in Plain Sight. Let's talk about it. And that's been a really great forum for people to get on and really talk about things in a pretty, um, I mean, they can bring all their emotions to it, but, but the, the, the people who uh, are the administrators of the group are pretty conscientious about, you know, no derogatory language, no slamming and all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's, it's been a pretty good place. I, I haven't really entered into a lot of conversations on it. I've been 
just because I want people to be able to feel free to talk about whatever they want to talk about. And, and so that's been a great place for people to go who kind of want to engage and enter into a conversation. I know that Susan Broberg, Jan's sister, has been engaging in a lot of conversations there. And, um, but we've got a lot of we've – got, we've got our website, and we're in the process of adding some, some more resources on that website. So if there is abuse or if people are feeling a certain way, then we have some, some places that they can reach out to. Um, Justice for Children, Kid Power, um, the Jacob Wetterling Foundation. So, so putting some resources up there that people, if they need help, they can they can reach out. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, is this? I highly doubt it's your first feature. So, how many have you made? Well, I've I've directed two feature documentaries, and I've been the director of photography on more. Boy, I don't even know how many. It's probably you know. 10 to 15 or something like that. Um, So quite a, yeah, so quite a few that I've been director of photography on. Interesting. I, I, I love just the little things that you can pick up on when a DP becomes a director. Um, Mm. It sounds so film snobbish. (laughs) I'm (laughs) not, it sounds like we're, I know, right? As a director of photography, you do a lot of the on documentaries, especially you're you're a driving force behind the storytelling because there is no script per se that you're coming in with. I mean, you're coming in with ideas of the story that you want to accomplish, but you're doing a lot of directing behind the camera as a director of photography and really leading leading the way in what how to put scenes together. Interesting. I've I've never I've produced five features, but I've never uh, directed a feature. I've only directed a short, and mm-hmm. the only cinematographer I've worked with or would work with is kind of like what you were saying. There's I there's so much more of where it would have seemed like he was directing something because I was just like he knows way more about the camera and he knows way more about the lighting of the room. So I'll take right. this off me and yeah. I know he's going to give me what I want and you know we've known each other since film school there's nothing we're going to argue about so let's right. just do right. this and it was and you know and I so I'm I'm always intrigued by that relationship we've been fortunate to have a lot of cinematographers on the show and I'm always intrigued at hearing when they've directed or if some obviously some of them just want to stay cinematographers and they just like working in a different genres. So now that brings us to our uh, last seven minutes, and we have our uh, – We uh, this was obviously inspired by Inside the Actors Studio, but it's not the same question. Um, uh, we, I'd, I'd love to know what a filmmaker uh, – what genre, you know, script's there, story's there, cast is there, money's there. Put all that aside – uh, what's the one genre you want to direct before you hang up the camera? Oh, you know what I would love to make? I'd love to make one of those um, Blue Planet type of things where you travel around the world and shoot panda bears and jaguars and and different tribes and all of these different sort of facets of humanity on a global scale. Humanity and animals and all of that. I'd love to do some massive epic 
giant camera beauty around the world kind of project. <laughs> oh, you know, it's I, I cannot believe that I'm forgetting what it's called, but my friend that I was telling you shot my film. Baraka. He showed I would me love this. to shoot Baraka. Yeah. He said this thing called, like, it was called, like, Planet Earth, and there was, like, 14 yes. parts, and it, and it was, like, this, it was, like, this hour long of just, like, trees and bugs, and I was, like, <laughs> okay, like, is somebody going to shoot somebody? Like, what? And he's, like, just yeah. look. Like, these, these are, and I was, like, oh, yeah, okay, leaves in the, in the jungle. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, yeah so I, I, lo- I love that you're saying that. That's that's awesome. Uh, now yeah. the, uh, the 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 other question is just the reverse. You know, uh, you haven't eaten for a week. Lights are off. Indie filmmaker thinking their film's going to get made, and they have to work. Uh, but there's no way in heck you're gonna you're gonna do this genre. Mm-hmm. What's so? What would, what what would that be? You know, I think it probably would be waiting tables. I mean, that's what I, that's how I got myself through college, bartending and waiting tables, um, through undergrad and grad school, and through a lot of the travels that I, I did. I spent five years as a gypsy, and, and I just, I, I, waiting tables was great for me. It was pretty flexible. Um, I always had a little bit of cash in my pocket. I met some really, really interesting people, and uh, and and it keeps you it keeps you moving. You know, you're 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 active and you're up on your feet. You're not sitting behind a computer. And and I think that if 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 the apocalypse happens, the filmmaking apocalypse happens, I'd probably probably go back to that. <laughs> There's uh, that great line in The Departed when Mark Wahlberg. Uh, quits and Alec Baldwin tells him world needs plenty of bartenders right Um, yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I I I did a lot of restaurant work because my parents had a restaurant for two years so it was like Mm -hmm. from just taking out the trash to assistant manager to when they had a bigger restaurant waiting tables um so yeah it's like that deal is just there's I think there's something that's in that just you're not waiting two weeks for your paycheck. There's those tips at right. the end of the day that just make it seem yeah. like you're, yeah. you know, sitting around in a tailored suit, smoking a big cigar, but it's really just like 22 bucks in your hand. Um, right. Right. But, yeah. uh, but yeah, so ideally uh, I'd probably do it on like some beach bar somewhere in like Barbados or something, you know? <laughs> oh, so you'd be roughing it. Okay. Yes. I pre- that's good to know. Okay, yes. Yeah. A Bahamas beach bar is okay. Right. Uh, yeah. um, so we want to thank you for your time today. We'll, of course, send you the link once it's up, and we'll post it. It usually takes a couple hours to process. But um, if there's anything you'd like to uh, just close with, uh, feel free. No, I think – thank you so much. I mean, this has been this has been a really great, thoughtful um, – amazingly creative conversation and so thank you for for asking the questions that you do they're really wonderful oh thank you so much uh and you have a great day and i look forward to speaking with you soon yeah me too bye-bye bye and that was our wonderful i had a wonderful talk um i love doing this obviously it is my uh 